I wonder if you've ever felt insignificant. As if your life is kind of pointless and, and meaningless. After all, what can one person really achieve in a, in a world full of seven billion people? We feel so small, so weak, so powerless that it feels like we're just condemned to a meaningless and irrelevant existence of just going through the motions of life without really making any difference at all. But God disagrees. This morning we're coming to the end of our studies in the early chapters in the book of Genesis. We've been discovering how that God made a wonderful world. A world that he declared was very good right from the start. But we've also looked about how God's world was messed up. Messed up when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And this sin brought separation and struggle and suffering and ultimately death into this world. And even after God wiped this world clean with a flood and started with a brand new family, still the problem of sin remained. And this led to family problems and rebellious cities and confused speech and scattered nations across the world. So what would God do now? How would he intervene How would he start to reclaim the people that he had made for himself? How would God start the the work of fixing this world? Well, he didn't do it through a mass movement. Neither did he do it through a powerful ruler or a dynamic leader. Instead, he did it through one person. A seemingly insignificant person that he called and he worked in in an amazing way. So we are going to read from Genesis chapter 11 this morning. uh, Verse 27. And then we're going to read down to chapter 12 down to verse 5. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up. If not, just listen. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and then he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. God's answer to the problem of sin in this world began with a man called Abram. He became the father of a great nation. But even more importantly, he became the father of everybody who's placed their faith in Jesus. So Paul would write in Galatians chapter 3, those who believe are children of Abraham. Because he's the father of faith. And this journey it began with God's call on Abraham. It was a call, first of all, to leave. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Now this was much more than just a change of address. Many of us here have had a change of address, even a change of country. But this was more than that, because God was calling Abraham to leave behind Everything that he had depended on before. To leave all the previous sources of guidance, of security, of protection, of provision. To leave all of that behind. To leave all of that behind as a, that, the, his old life, but then to start a brand new life. To go into the land that I will show you. God was asking Abram that he would be in charge of his life from now on. For Abram just to put his life into God's hands completely. To trust that God would lead him in the right direction. That God would secure his future. That God would keep him safe. That God would provide for all of his needs. If you're with us, last week we were looking at the, the, the city of Babel. And this is kind of like the opposite of what the people of the city of Babel did. Because the people of the city of Babel, they just trusted in themselves. In their combined strength. They built that city. So that together they could become a great nation. And they built that tower so that we may make a name for ourselves. But God called Abram to do the exact opposite of that. Not to have trust in himself, but to transfer that trust from himself or from anybody else around him and to trust completely in God. And to encourage him to do that, God gave him some amazing promises. God said, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. The proud people of Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves, but God humbled them. They were divided into many nations and scattered throughout the world. But God promised Abram that if he trusted in him, then he would make him into a great nation. He would give him a great name. 
It's another powerful example of how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Jesus still calls people to leave and to trust. Listen to what Jesus said at the start of his ministry. Mark chapter 1. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. That's meaning leave your old life behind. To leave behind the way of the world with its various ideas and its teachers and its religious system and its dependence on yourself. To leave behind depending on your own strength or your own achievements or your own goodness. Leave all of that behind. And instead start this brand new life of simply trusting in Christ and in Christ alone for our standing before God for our security in this world and for our salvation. God still calls us to leave and to trust. But I think many people just don't feel worthy of that call. We don't feel worthy of hearing God's call on our lives. We don't feel important enough or we don't feel good enough Or we don't feel as if we've achieved enough. But you know, that's not a problem. Abram too was the highly unlikely father of faith. Just think about it, just for a minute. He wasn't anybody special. Abram wasn't a great leader. He wasn't a a powerful ruler. He wasn't even an impressive warrior. He wasn't like the guy in Genesis chapter 10, a guy called Nimrod, who's described as a mighty hunter before the Lord. One of these men who just do amazing things. Powerful guy, leader of men. But that wasn't Abram. Abram actually was a bit of a coward. On two occasions, just to protect his own skin, he lied about his wife. He said, oh, she's just my sister. So that he would not be attacked or killed for the sake of somebody trying to steal his wife. And as a result, his wife was taken off by the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and also by King Abimelech. On two occasions, he didn't even stand up for his wife. Abram also had no background in following God. He didn't come from a believing family. He lived in art of the Chaldeans. It was a prosperous, a sophisticated city. It would be located somewhere in southern Iraq today. But it was an ungodly city. There's reports that there were over 300 different gods worshipped in Ur. It was a city of magic and superstition, immorality. And idolatry. And it wasn't as if Abram's family was any better than the rest of the people in that city. His dad, Terah, worshipped other gods, it says in Joshua chapter 24. Abram grew up in an idolatrous family. 
where people worshipped false gods. Abram didn't learn about the one true and living God from his family, from his dad. He didn't grow up with the benefit of that background of faith in the one true and living God. But there's another thing that made Abram highly unlikely as the father of God's people, the father of this great nation. It's because he had no kids. We read in Genesis 11 that Sarai, his wife, was barren. She had no children. And both Sarai and her husband were getting on to the age where this was becoming increasingly unlikely. Unless, of course, you're Mick Jagger. He seems to still be in the childbearing time. But childlessness can be a huge problem for anybody, can't it? A huge hurt in people's hearts for a couple to remain childless if they desperately want to have kids. But for Abram, it must have felt like a cruel joke. Because do you know what his name meant? His name meant exalted father. But instead of being a name of honour, it only reminded him of everything that he was not. Can you imagine going around being called the exalted father and, not, and having that heartbreak of not having any kids all the time? No kids, no heir, no one to keep his name going after he was gone. So how could Abram become the father of a great nation? Surely having at least one son, one child, was a necessary qualification for that role. So many ways, Abram was the most unlikely candidate to be used by God to start a movement that would change the world. And yet that's exactly whom God chose. God chose to work through Abram, an unimportant nobody, from an ungodly background, with this unfulfilled dream. So why? Why would God choose to work through somebody like Abram? Well, the Bible says to reveal God's grace. God, in his grace, gave this promise to Abraham, it says in Galatians chapter 3. God did not choose Abram because of who he was, or where he had come from, or what he had achieved in his life. Instead, God chose Abram simply by grace. That means God chose Abram because of God's love. Because of God's, the favour that God was giving in a completely undeserved, unconditional, unearned way. And God still works through the most unlikely of people for that very same purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. Think of what you were when you were called to be be, be a part of God's family, to be a Christian. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. 
And he says, why? So that no one may boast before him. So that nobody in that church in Corinth could walk in the door saying, I'm here because I'm great. Because I'm so wise or intelligent. Because I'm so strong, God really needs me. Because I'm so important that it's an honour for you guys to have me in your church. Nobody could say that. Everyone there knew that they were there because of God's grace in their life. Because God chose somebody who was unworthy. And God loved them. And God placed that value on them. And God redeemed them and brought them into his family. God chooses to work through the insignificant, the ordinary, the everyday people like me, and I hope you don't get offended, but like you, so that all the praise and all the glory from what we achieve or what God does through us goes to him and him alone. So it really wasn't important who Abram was. What was important was how Abram would respond to God's call. And initially his response wasn't that great. We read in in Genesis chapter 11 verse 31 that Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and together they set out from our other Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Remember what God had called Abram to do? Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. So I don't know why Abram took, took along his dad with him. Perhaps it just was too difficult to leave him behind. But what is clear is that although Abram set off in response to God's call, it was a kind of partial obedience because Abram got stuck. Because verse 31 says, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. They were leaving out of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but they got stuck halfway. We can only guess why they stopped there. Maybe this was Terah, his dad's hometown. Maybe it was because it was a similar to, to in race or in culture to where they had left, and it was just a nice place to stay. Maybe they just said, well, we'll just have a rest for a couple of days, but they, that couple of days just stretched into a couple of weeks and a couple of months, a couple of years. But whatever the reason, this place, Haran, was never God's plan for Abram. It wasn't supposed to be his final destination. So Abram was settling for halfway into God's plan for his life. And I think lots of us get stuck there. Lots of us get stuck halfway into following God. They hear the call to leave their old life behind and to trust in Jesus. But they only partially obey. They compromise. They hold on to some of those old habits from their old life. They hold on to some of their old attitudes from their old life. They try and live with a foot in both camps. Kind of in the world, but also in the church. And if you've been there, you will know that it doesn't work. It doesn't bring us fully into God's plan and God's purpose. 
Jesus is looking for whole-hearted, whole-life obedience. This is his call. Such challenging words in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus' call on our life is to repent and believe. To leave behind our old life and trust Him completely with everything we are and have. And yes, we are called to do that at a very special point in time in our life when we first of all put our trust in Jesus. But do you see? We're called to do this daily. To daily leave behind our old life and those old attitudes, and those old habits, and reckon ourselves as dead to our own desires, and instead choose to follow Jesus. To leave and to trust. Abram gets stuck halfway. But eventually, this was sorted. After Terah's death, Abram set off again to complete his journey. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. There was another new beginning in Abram's life. And for me, it's such an encouragement to see that Abram, the guy who knew in the Bible is called the father of faith, to see that he didn't get it right first time. To see that Abraham, the father of faith, still struggled with compromise and with doubt. That he too struggled with half-hearted commitment. Because what that means is that if we've stumbled in our first steps of faith, if we've got stuck between faith and doubt, if we've settled down at that halfway house, then we can hear God's call again in our lives and we can again leave that world behind and again go and trust in Christ and follow him with everything that we are and everything that we have God is the God of second chances and third and fourth and fifth and what is the key to all of this well it's faith Hebrews 11 says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. By faith Abraham obeyed. That's what it means to to go out in complete obedience and faith. It is a faith in God that and in his promises that frees us from the hold of our old life. It's Faith in God that releases us from the slavery to those old habits and old attitudes. It's faith in God that enables us to put our whole life in Jesus' hands. It's faith in God that enables us to live this brand new life. This is how Paul put it in in Galatians chapter 2. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Why would you want to put your, your life in somebody else's hands if they've, they've proven how much they love you and how much they're willing to give for you? Why would we ever doubt to put our life in the hands of the one who allowed his hands to be pierced for our transgressions? But guys, of course, this was not the end of the challenges to faith that Abram would face. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. But the fulfilment of God's promises in his life did not happen quickly. It was another 25 years before his promised son would be born. He was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And then taking possession of that land of Canaan took even longer. When, he, when Abram ar- arrived in Canaan, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He basically was like a nomad. He didn't have a place to stay that was his. In fact, even by the time of his death, the only part of the land of Canaan that he actually owned was one little field in a cave, of Machpelah it's called, that he had bought as a burial site for his family. That's the only part of that land that, that he actually owned. It was going to be another 580 years before the Israelites took possession of that land of Canaan. What does that tell us? It tells us that God works in his own time. And that timing is often different from ours. Yes, there are some things that happen instantly. The instant that we trust in Jesus, we receive forgiveness and acceptance and adoption into God's family. But the full experience of all that God has promised to do was going to take time. We're not going to experience it instantly. So James says, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. We don't need to get discouraged. We don't need to give up. We don't need to despair that God is not going to work in our lives because God in His time will fulfill His promises. He will complete the work that He has begun in us. God has promised it. And He keeps His promises. And if we remain faithful to Him, then we will not be disappointed with what God will do in our lives. God did far more in Abram's life than he could ever have imagined. If you read the rest of the Old Testament, then and I encourage you to do that if you get time. Maybe even decide next year to make it a year that you read through the Old Testament. And if you read through that, you see the amazing things that God did in and through Abram and his family. How he protected Abram. And his wife, even despite of Abram's foolishness. How he gave Abram a son, even in his old age. How he protected that that family from famine by taking them down to Egypt through Joseph. How he rescued them from Pharaoh in Egypt through the leadership of Moses and amazing plagues and miracles. How he provided for them miraculously for 40 years as as they wandered around in the desert. And he brought them into possession of that land of Canaan. Despite the huge challenges and the powerful enemies that they faced. But even that was not the end of what Abram was going to do. Or God was going to do in Abram's life. When Abram's descendants 
failed to follow God. And they were pulled into immorality and idolatry. God rescued that nation again and again and again. And when their sin became so great that they eventually were exiled into Babylon, still God did not give up on them. But instead God intervened to rescue them and restore them to the land. Rebuilding that temple. Rebuilding his relationship with them. But even that's not the end of what God was going to do through the family of Abraham. God had something much greater in mind. So that his promise would come true that all peoples on earth would be blessed through you. What was that? Well, we're going to celebrate that in the next couple of weeks, weren't we? The birth of Jesus. He was the greatest descendant of Abram. And yet you could also declare that before Abraham was born, I am. Yes, Jesus is in the family line of Abram, but Jesus is before Abraham. Because he's the son of God. He is the eternal creator. And this is actually what Abram was looking forward to. There's an amazing verse that Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 56. It says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. (coughs) In some way, Abraham knew about the coming salvation from God. He rejoiced in knowing something about it. And he was looking forward to that day when God would send a saviour. But I think this went far beyond even what Abraham could expect. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't only pay for the sins of the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel. He died for the sins of the whole world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Through you, all nations will be blessed because Jesus, the Lamb of God, would take away the sins of the whole world. And so through faith in Jesus, we can be blessed today. Through repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus, we can be completely forgiven. We can be adopted into God's family. We can be declared righteous in God's sight. So those who have faith in Jesus are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So you and I can be among those who are blessed today. I'm sure that when Abram left Ur of the Chaldeans, he had no idea what God was going to do through him and his descendants. I do not think that he for one moment imagined that how many, so many thousands of years later that there would be people here in Enniscorthy rejoicing at what God did through Abraham and his descendants. When he answered God's call to leave and to trust, he could never have imagined all that God was going to do through him. And I believe it's the same for us. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, 
something. God is the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work in us. We might feel weak and insignificant. We might feel fragile and powerless. But if we put our trust in Christ, then our lives are not going to be limited by our weakness, by our powerlessness, but instead they're going to be transformed by God's power working through us. Maybe it's not going to happen today or next week. But in God's time, He's going to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. (coughs) So the question is, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to God's call on our lives to leave and to trust? Are we going to stay where we are? Thinking that we just are not worthy enough to answer that call? Or thinking that our past stops us from from answering that call? Or will we just go halfway into half-hearted obedience? Living out a kind of partial Christian life? Or will we, like Abraham, leave our old life behind? And put our trust in Christ? And allow Him to work in and through us? In ways that are going to be far beyond what we could ask or even imagine.